It's the Horrorphoria Podcast. Don't touch that dial. Andy Gilly and John Richards are your hosts of this weekly podcast to rate and review horror movies. Is it good? Is it bad? <laughs> Is it a classic? Find out now. <laughs> Welcome to the Horrorphoria Podcast. It is Friday, June 26th, episode number 68 plus one. Broadcasting from our Academy Award-winning studios in Wausau, Wisconsin. I'm John Richards, and normally we have Andy Gilly here with us. Uh, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, he, he deserves his vacation, but um, we have a lot of friends out there in the horror movie community, especially our good friends over at Straight Chillin' Podcast, on for the second time. And I think it's a fitting uh, movie that we're doing today is our friend Justin, better known as Soju from Southern Korea. Soju, what up? What up? It's your boys. Soju. Thanks for having me back on, man. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. I know it's uh, early in the morning out there. You, uh, you, you drinking a little coffee? Yeah, getting that coffee. Not too much, though, because I do plan on going back to bed. <laughs> it is uh, <laughs> 6 a.m. <laughs> here right now in the old Southern Korea. But yeah, after after the podcast, done, I'll probably get a little bit more shut-eye. Oh, good for you, man. And thank you so much for coming on. This is the second time we've had you on. We had a great time last time. What we talked about, uh, what the hell did we talk about last time? It was we talked uh, about actually not uh, a movie five. specifically. Yeah, top five. So this top is my first like movie review. I know I've got a lot to live up to with the other boys, you know, coming on here. So I hope I can hold it down. Yeah, well, Bob gave you a little crap about your number five movie on that one. But I, no, I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought it was a little fitting because you are in Southern Korea and you've been out there for, what, almost three years now, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going into my fourth year now. So, yeah, I've been out here for a hot minute. All right. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because we didn't get a chance to cover it the last time you were on. You were actually um, you, you do some YouTube uh, check you out on Instagram, but you do some videos of, of just places that you get to visit in southern Korea. Yeah, absolutely. So I live in Seoul and Seoul is the capital and it's a humongous city. Um, but uh, Korea also has like a really good public transportation system. It's super cheap. It extends really far out. And so I um, you can follow me at Justin Abroad for Instagram. And I try to post a lot of pictures that I take in the city or when, when I travel in Korea. But I do. I really just love to go see all the kind of history historical sites and everything like that in Korea. And so I've been making videos on YouTube um, at Justin Abroad is the name of the channel. And so if you are interested at all in any kind of uh, sites, pretty much in Korea, I do some food videos and stuff too, but most of it's just like historical sites or popular tour sites in Seoul mostly, but sometimes I do travel around to different cities and um, they're pretty short too. I try to keep them most of the time under five minutes for sure so yeah they're little bite-sized episodes of sites around korea well i gotta say is uh i i think i saw some pictures of you and your wife and you guys were up on this ledge like uh, uh, on a mountain site mm-hmm. that was that was so stunning i mean it, it, the oh, pictures yeah. that you take and the videos that you take because i hate heights i i yeah, yeah. never i can never ever do something like that but I mean, seriously, you got to check these videos out. You got to check these pictures out because Southern Korea, and I don't think we know it here in the Midwest, is that it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful countryside. 
It's absolutely beautiful. And it's weird too, because I grew up in Florida and so it's all flat and beach and everything like that. And uh, South Korea is very mountainous. There's um, even within the city of Seoul, there's huge mountain ranges and stuff. And so hiking is really popular. And even recently, like there's a volcano too on one of their islands where you can go visit and we hike to the top of that. And so, yeah, there's uh, so many beautiful mountain peaks and even um, some of the pictures I'll post they have very famous like palaces here and just in the background there's these huge mountain ranges so it's absolutely beautiful place have you gotten to see any of the um like the horror movies that have been filmed out there i'm talking like the whaling or or maybe train to busan have you gotten to see some of those those landscapes or sites uh, yeah, so Train to Busan, they leave from Seoul Station, um, and then even in the movie we're going to talk about today, Parasite in town, so most it was shot in Seoul, and so there is a pizza place that's in here. That it's not like a huge part of the movie, but they do have like a Parasite tour that you can go on, so, there, so you can go like see the pizza place and stuff like that. And um, I know the neighborhood, kind of like where the house is supposed to be. It's not a real house. They have they built like a set for it or whatever, but just the general like neighborhood and everything. Um, so yeah, I have uh, not the whaling. I'm the whaling shot like out in kind of a rural area. I'm not sh- exactly sure where that's supposed to be, but then there's some places um, too in Thirst. They mentioned like Busan and stuff, and so I've seen I've seen a couple locations. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. It's so. Really cool. um, and don't forget Straight Chillin' Podcast at uh, straightchillinpodcast.com. Uh, you can follow them on any of their social medias, and you can also find them on anywhere you get your uh, podcasts at. And uh, you just put up a review of a video game at YouTube forward slash Straight Chillin' Podcast, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, I do. I got like, it. Uh... I got it. <laughs> yeah, you got it right. I know. Man, you know it better than I do, I think. Um, yeah, I do monthly video game reviews for the Straight Chum podcast. I try to play through a game a month. And right now I'm actually going through the Bioshock series. So last month I did the first Bioshock. And so this week I just dropped Bioshock 2. And I am currently playing through the third Bioshock. So that will be dropping in July. But yeah, it's we're about up to, I think, 13 video game reviews now. So if you're interested at all in horror video games, you can ch- check that out on the YouTube page. And um, it's something I try to keep going because I grew up gaming and stuff like that and specifically horror gaming um, as as a kid and a teenager. So that's something I like to keep going now. Hey, real quick, you did like the uh, remake of Resident Evil 2, right? I did, yeah. And actually, this year, Resident Evil 3 remake came out. It's very much in the same style. So I did review that. That was the newest release that I, I reviewed this year because I downloaded it pretty much as soon as it came out. So, yeah, it was it was a good remake. Yeah, I think that was the last game I played on PlayStation 2 was like the, the OG Resident Evil 2 with Claire and uh, Leon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. The remake was really great. And now since they were like so successful, they're pretty much talking about remaking like all, all the old game. Like they're talking about maybe doing four again. So, um, but yeah, they, they've they done it in a really great play style. Like I, it it translates really well and so they were able to kind of kick three out like within a year of the two remake coming out so i i'm down i'm down for it they're really fun that's pretty awesome all right well we're gonna get into horror movie news but uh since andy is not here he was able to uh yeah to to give us a little bit of horror movie news so 
Have at it, Andy. That's right. Uh, coming from the time machine here. Horror movie news. Uh, Bruce Campbell was quoted as saying that the new Evil Dead movie, which does not have Ash Williams in it, will be entitled Evil Dead Rise. This was after the Lee Cronenhelm film was referred to as Evil Dead Now a few weeks ago, which we reported on. We Remember did. That? We did. Uh, yeah, it was. They, they confirmed it as being Evil Dead Now a couple weeks ago. Now it's Evil Dead Rise, I guess. Evil Okay. All right. You're excited about it. I know that. Uh, yeah, you know, I am. I, I liked, I'm a huge fan of Evil Dead, obviously, and uh, I like the 2013 film, so uh, it should be interesting to see what they come up with here. I've been having an itch to watch that again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the 2013 one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see it again, too. Uh, speaking of Bruce Campbell, sounds like he's working getting the follow-up to the 2007 film My Name is Bruce off the ground. Right now, it's called Bruce versus Frankenstein. Sounds like uh, they are going to first adapt the screenplay into a graphic novel, and give the industry a sense of what they're thinking about before they sell it to them. See, I don't remember seeing the, My Name is Bruce. I've seen Bubba Hotep. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen My Name is Bruce either, to be honest with you. And uh, that's a little embarrassing for an Evil Dead fan like me. That's fair, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's coming up with, out with a, this Bruce versus Frankenstein. And uh, this, is kind of, this is kind of an interesting idea to produce this graphic novel first. You know, a lot of movies come from graphic novels, so mm-hmm. it must be a good way to sell a, sell a movie. I think, you know, it kind of gives you a look at what... Uh, what the story's about graphically so should be kind of interesting I'll probably check that out when it comes out Mm -hmm. a long unseen George Romero film has been picked up for distribution and we may be able to see it on streaming or blu-ray soon amusement park was a Romero film produced in 1973 and commissioned by the Lutheran Society of all things to uh, raise awareness about ageism and elder abuse remember hearing about this I think we talked about it a while ago yeah a long time finally unearthed like a while ago I think Uh, depicts the horror of growing old in America manifested through a role coasters and chaotic crowds interesting romero film should be interesting right no zombies in it though i would no. imagine just roller coasters Spe- yeah speaking of romero our guest that's on the line right now actually they just reviewed uh martin oh they did from, okay from romero okay okay cool well you have to say hi juice for me uh bloody disgusting has an interesting interview with kevin bacon that you can check it out we talked about kevin bacon last week when he said he was a little tired of signing the picture that depicts him dead <laughs> in the original friday the 13th uh in this interview bacon talks about tremors the idea of him donning the bladed glove of freddy which uh maybe you've heard of on the internet some people uh, think he'd be a great uh, uh i saw an internet post yeah. or uh, an instagram post that uh robert england actually shared yes robert it was, england is it was a picture of him as freddy krueger mm-hmm. but then a picture as kevin bacon and we talked about um what was the name of that hollow man as yeah. he was changing and you saw the musk just the muscles as he was changing invisible yes it was uncanny. <laughs> it was, man. And yes, uh, Robert England has, has said he would be a good successor. So, um, so yeah, he, t- he talks a little bit about it in this interview. Uh, Bacon is currently starring in You Should Have Left, which is an okay watch. I watched that this weekend, and uh, we just replaced The Grudge in a couple weeks <laughs> with this film. So, we'll be talking about Oh, we'll about get it. to that. <laughs> yes, we will. So, so, yay, we don't have to watch The Grudge again. Thank you. Thanks for finding <laughs> that movie. Something Andy. better to watch than The Grudge. All right, I'll let you get, get to it with Juice, and you guys have a good uh, good time today. Have a good vacation. Thanks. All right, thanks, Andy. Appreciate that. Good job, Andy. That was some <laughs> shocking horn news. Thank you, sir. <laughs> oh, very nice. All right, well, we are going to be talking about the uh, 2019 movie, Parasite. Uh, again, Justin, I I don't know how to say that. Is it Bong Yong ho uh, Bong Yong-ho? Uh, bon- uh, bong Joon-ho. 
Okay, Bong Joon Ho. It's more, yeah, more like a like a O sound. Bong, so Bong Joon Ho, and Bong is his last name. So they always do like their last or like their surnames first um, gotcha. in Korea. So yeah, that's how it's pronounced. Well, it's an Academy Award winner. It won four Academy Awards. Uh, we're talking Best Picture, Best Director. Uh, I believe it was Best Original Screenplay and Best Foreign Movie. Yeah, won a ton of, let's see, 11 nominations, five awards. Yeah, that's uh, pretty impressive. It is uh, Parasite from 2019. Uh, here is your synopsis real quick. Uh, though in an elaborate and ingenious scheme, the poor Kim family managed to trick an affluent and naive Park family into making them their servants. But unbeknownst to them, the Kims, Park's house harbors a dark secret which could cause the collapse of the newly formed symbiosis. Here's your spoiler alert. We are uh, talking about from 2019 Parasite. Obviously, we just talked about it. It's an Academy Award winner. Your initial thoughts of this movie, Justin? Uh, my initial thoughts. Oh, man. At this point, I've seen it so many times. I feel like I've talked about it so much, uh, but I just first saw it, but just back in November. So it hasn't even been that long ago, but I was mesmerized by it at the time. It had already built up a ton of hype uh, by November at that point. Um, it came out last summer in Korea, but it took me a while to find a version with English subtitles. Um, mm -hmm. So by that point, it had already come out in the States, I think. I remember like some of our friends talking about have seen it in the States even before I could. But I, I was mesmerized by it. Um, I've seen several of Bong Joon-ho's films, and I was kind of surprised I've liked them but this felt like the most polished thing he had done by far like it felt like everything kind of fell in line for him and i was really surprised by just how much further he seemed to go um as far as just filmmaking um with this with this next film parasite and um i i think it's a beautiful film it, it's something that i constantly think and talk about with with lots of people so i, th I think it deserves all the kind of accolades that it's gotten i totally agree um i know you guys had reviewed this uh late last year um, it absolutely deserves the accolades. It, it feels and, and I know that that for the straight chilling podcast, you talk a lot about aesthetic and it seems like you appreciate aesthetic of a movie. And like for this, for me, was like the the, you know, the the epitome of what a beautiful aesthetic or, or switching be, between those can be. Um, it was. It was funny. It was tragic, and it was horrific, like all at the same time. Like, like, like within. It's a two-hour and fourteen-minute movie, or whatever. Mm -hmm. and, and it just it, it never slowed down. You 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 you're constantly in it and going like, whoa, it's over now. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Korean movies are typically like kind of notoriously long, but this is. You're right. This is a movie that it's easy to get swallowed up in and 
some uh, one of the one of his biggest steps. You're absolutely right. The one of the, the cinematography, the cinematography, like the next step in that is pretty amazing. There's a scene right dab actually more toward the end of this this is just so beautiful i was so surprised i'd never seen anything like that from this director before and also you had mentioned the character development or like kind of getting invested with the characters um just he does such a great job with almost every aspect of filmmaking in this movie. And it, and it happens almost so seamlessly that when it's over, you are surprised and there's, you ha- there's so much to chew on story wise, character wise, look wise. And even man, I've probably seen this movie probably close to eight times now. <laughs> and I, I know. And it's just it's just something that comes up so much in discussion here. And um, and there's always something for me to chew on. I, I'm still like grappling with so much of this film, and it, it really is. It's um, it's it's kind of a, it's a bit of a masterpiece. I know that's kind of like a, a loaded word to kind of throw around, but and it's you know it's I ha- hasn't even been quite a year since I originally saw it for the first time, but it is a pretty stunning film. It really is. And, and we'll get to that. So uh, we'll give our review. But we actually started something new. Is it bad? Is it good? Is it a classic? I mean, to me, you know, without giving my rating so far, I this is a classic. This is something like you said, is that something that you can chew on, you know, in multiple watches? I didn't I have not watched this movie as much as you have, but I have watched this movie three times now. I've watched it when I heard about it. Does it live up to the hype? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. It does. L- let me watch it again. Um, it still lives up to the hype. And then it's yeah. like we decided to do this for the podcast. And I'm like, uh, yeah, absolutely. This still lives. Up to the hype. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And after all the times I've seen it, I agree. I would say classic. And I know it was kind of a big deal at the time um, because it was a foreign film winning like best picture. And but I think it's it's so deep that there's very nuanced cultural things that go on in this movie. And yet at the same time, and that's in the same realm, it's so universally, I think, understood and relatable um, that it kind of transcends those little things. And so it's both very narrow and broad at the same time. It's it really is kind of like lightning in a bottle for this director like i'm pretty familiar with a a decent amount of his work and nothing he's ever done even comes close to this and i really think it's it's a little bit of a lightning in the bottle situation honestly i i agree and i'm gonna go back on something that you said that culturally is that it could be universal but if there's anything that we start talking about, like when we start diving into this movie, is uh, please chime in. And and you did this on Straight Chillin' Podcast because you actually guys you guys actually reviewed this movie and you know the culture. I mean, you've been there for four four plus years, and you know again. But 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 it's also a class thing. I mean, we we look at this movie as far as class, and this family is trying to. This family wasn't necessarily poor. But they became poor because of, of situations, right? Yeah, yep, yep, a bad. Uh, so, spoiler, we, we, we jump it in, spoiler warning, or, or no? We, we got the alert out there, so go ahead. Okay, all right. So, yeah, um, 
and I guess this is one of the cultural things and, and lucky enough, um, I, I have been able to discuss this with Koreans in um, which has really helped bring like to light some of these aspects, um, even living here. And even still, uh, one of my friends said, like, there's so many kind of maybe like subtle jokes, especially when it's going kind of full comedy that like it would just really be hard for Westerners to understand. But yeah, as far as as far as what's happened to this family, family and they do it so briefly they just it's there's like two lines in this whole movie that kind of discusses what the situation is but it's actually really important i think in the grand scheme of kind of understanding what this family is going through and why this is such a relatable situation so this family the um kim so this movie is full of dichotomies um it's it's constantly showing these these Things that seem very similar, but are also very different. And so you do have this Kim family, which is the poor family. And it's the mom, dad, um, son, and daughter. And then on the other side, you have the Park family, which is a, a rich family. But again, it's, you know, similar situation, just a little bit younger with the kids and, and everything. But it's a mom, dad, son, and daughter. And the it mentions that the reason that the Kim family has kind of fallen into misfortune is they made a bad investment essentially they tried to open a restaurant or more specifically a Thai cake shop which was a hot okay. thing probably as far as I understand maybe like early 2017 late 2016 like that era maybe of, of when these like kinds of restaurants were really popular and ultimately it kind of went bust and um and so now they are um essentially like a poor family like they lost all their money in this investment and um and now they're kind of just struggling to get by yeah and you know what's weird about that is that especially what we're going through i mean talking about coronavirus and everything is that you have a lot of these small businesses you know, and I don't want to specify or I, I don't want to get political about this because we don't put politics in horror. Um, no, no, we got it. Yeah, they're completely separate, but <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely are. But but I think that's what you're seeing now is that that, you know, to to a certain extreme, I, I know what we're going through now is a pandemic mm-hmm. and it's causing this. But yeah. it's also the same thing. It's a you know, maybe it's a poor investment because. You know, you don't know what's coming at you in the future that that, you know, the you know, it, it is similar. It's it's very, very uh, parallel to, OK, you made a bad investment into this because. Yeah. Yeah. It's not popular anymore, but but a pandemic, you know, cause yeah. that. And it's funny that this came out a year ago um, and, and it feels even somehow more relatable now because the thing is this, it wasn't like this family has always been poor, like they were born into poverty. There are discussions like uh, one of the first scenes that we see is the character of Kevin, who is the son um, in the Kim family. He is a pro- he's in his early 20s and he has a friend that comes by and it's a friend that he 
went to school with, he went to university with, and he, and, and he serves as a, another kind of form of dichotomy, like to show the difference between him and Kevin, because they essentially would have been in the same place. So the reason that Kevin gets introduced to the park family at all is because his friend offers him this job tutoring this, the, the girl, the daughter, the high school yeah. daughter of the but, park family. Right. A teenage girl that the, you know, he, he's, he knows enough English, like going to university to be able to teach her. So he's like, Hey, you can make money doing this. I'm going to study abroad. Yeah, exactly. And that and that it's very subtle, too. And uh, so much of this film is so subtle. But we see like that, that it's a big deal for this young uh, 20 year old to go study abroad in Europe. Like that's not something every 20 year old Korean does. Like that's kind of a big deal. And we see that that's, that's where Kevin would have been. So it's not necessarily as rich as what we see from the park family, but he, he would, he was successful enough in school. He's respected enough by his peers, which is an even bigger deal in Korea as far as like how you perform in school. And like they like testing is super important here. So they mentioned that that Kevin has taken these tests and he is the most qualified to teach this girl. And just unfortunately, his family has fallen on hard times and that's affected the whole family. And we get to see like, you know, that's where Kevin would have been. He would have been, you know, a very successful, prominent young 20 something year old. And now he's folding pizza boxes to just try and and, you know, make ends meet pretty much. Yeah. So, but but that would be kind of similar out here. Is that somebody that that is uh, intelligent enough to go to a university, but you know it it wasn't necessarily necessarily smart enough to get that, or not smart enough, but it wasn't able to get that um, you know that that financial help from the university. It's kind of similar yeah. out here. And you had talked about that before, though. Is that that it? You know, there's a lot of similarities between this. Yeah, yeah, and it's um and they mention it too with the daughter a little bit when when they're when the friends get together and they're discussing this job opportunity. He says, you know, how's your sister doing with her art and things like that and he says she doesn't have, you know, money for the class. Yeah, and it's a it's a very similar thing. It's like you have the talent, but the thing one of the big things about Korea too and this is something that rings true to me because I see it firsthand as a teacher but um, there's a lot of talent in young people and they are really driven hard to study like kids in Korea study study hard and testing is a very prominent piece of their education and um, and even with the high scores kids so school is free, but almost every single kid goes to an after school program to then it's almost like a second school. And um, and that's just and, and f starting very early on. So, I mean, f even from elementary school kids are going to these academies so they will spend upwards of like 10 to 12 hours doing education 
in school, like in any grade, I mean, not like kindergarten or first grade, but I mean, once you hit like fourth grade until you're out of high school, I mean, that's what you do. So it's a manner of like, it's just like 1% off of a test score or something like that is significant. And so I think that gives even more prominence to where Kevin could have been. Um, you know, he, he is, his test scores are highly regarded. And, and the thing is, I think it's a significant portion though, even though he's so qualified, he is such a qualified teacher but he would not be able to get this job if it weren't for a lie that he has to tell about going to university because status is also, unfortunately, can be very important in Korea as well. So even though he has the chops to to teach this girl, as we see, like he goes to this job and he's very successful at the job. But in right. order to initially get the job, he has to lie about it. And the same thing with his sister. Actually, that's a like a really funny thing about this movie is actually the the Park family ends up un like unknowingly hiring the entire Kim family <laughs> and they're actually all good at their jobs like they don't know any difference yep. they've tricked them into thinking that they're this elite group of specialized people and they're not, but they're still all really good at their jobs. And so really the lie is just about status. And that's kind of the part of the irony about it is like, well, they're not doing a bad job. They're actually doing a really good job. Um, right. They're all qualified, but like because they're not from, you know, a university in the United States, like they make a joke about like her going, the daughter going to uh, some art college in Illinois and things like that. <laughs> like they, they have to lie about these things to get the jobs, but they're absolutely qualified to do them. No, you're absolutely right. I, it was Illinois State University, and you're just like, uh, okay, so so your American brain goes, what? So so you're not going to Harvard, you're not going to uh, yeah. you know, Brown, Brown University or something like that, but it's Illinois State University, which is a state college, and I'm sure any kid in Illinois could go to, but you know, it's it's illustrious now. Yeah, it's and and that's a joke. That's a subtle joke that they do throughout this movie, which actually I had to explain that kind of joke to to my Korean friends. So while they're explaining to me some of the particular situations, I was trying to explain to them some of maybe the American or even English aspects of some of the jokes, because some of Bong Joon-ho's work um, is he does a lot of he de- he actually does a lot of interesting work. If you've ever seen Snowpiercer, so Snowpiercer has Chris Evans in it, and it's an interesting work because it's half in English. Actually, most of it is in English, but then there's also very prominent Korean characters that just speak Korean, so they're almost like half Korean, half English. And he also did a movie for Netflix called Okja, and it's it's the same kind of thing where it's half of the characters are like I think Jake Gyllenhaal is in that movie and Tilda Swinton is in that movie so half of it is all in English and then the other half is all in Korean and so it seems like he's got a pretty firm grasp about like some of these jokes coming in so the idea yeah exactly that this girl like went to Illinois like (laughs) state college and that makes her illustrious 
in the eyes of the Park family, it just is it's kind of a joke because <laughs> when we not not that there's anything wrong with no, you know no, no, Illinois no, State College, but when we think like when it gets brought up in the movie, I'm just like you. I'm kind of like looking around and going like what like what's so special about that? You know, it's and they the Park family you can see through this movie is obsessed with English um, because that is a gateway to um, like social class, I guess, kind of in Korean society or it's kind of seen as kind of illustrious. Actually, the best way I've heard it explained is I take Korean classes and my Korean teacher was saying like when you're thinking about how English is presented, it's very similar to the way uh, we in like English countries think about French. So when you think about like French restaurants or speaking the French language, you have this like, oh, it's almost kind of fancy idea in your mind like oh that's oh, like fancy okay. food or whatever that's kind of like the same kind of idea that surrounds English it's like it's it's not the end all be all but it's kind of fancy you know like oh if you speak you know prominent you know if you speak fluent English then then you know that's kind of fancy it's you know especially if you heard me like or you speaking French you'd be like oh you know that's kind of kind of fancy so some similar kind of vibe Sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, <clears throat> since we established who the uh, Kim family is, I mean, they're obviously a poor family that they weren't poor before, but they had become poor. Um, you know, they, they I think the theme of the movie was kind of a plan. So um, we had uh, Kevin, who is the oldest son of the Kim family. He got this job as a uh, tutor to this teenage gal, probably 16 years old in high school. You know, she's going to he's going to continue to teach English. And, you know, it kind of it, it progresses from there because, you know, Kevin, uh, or, or I guess there was a conversation between the mom of the Park family of she's concerned about her son and, and this picture that he's painting. I think it, it was of a champ, chimpanzee or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he thought he asked, uh, was it a self-portrait? Um, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. it was she says it's or no, he asked, is it a chimpanzee? And she says it's a self-portrait. I think that's the joke <laughs> of it. Yeah. So so he goes, well, I know a gal. Her name is Jessica. I'm sure she could uh, she could talk to your son about this. So the um, obviously Kevin's sister becomes a member of this of this group uh, to help out the young child. And then we've got this. Uh, oh, God, what was it? So, so Jessica gets a part of the group. She ends up going home with one of the limo drivers. And yeah. I, I this is this is weird because uh, I, I will I will reference or preface this by saying is uh, I did pay my ten thousand dollars because uh, we're going to talk about Cooter of the Week. Uh, basically, <laughs> it's, it's, it's character type at the very end of the movie. So yeah, it was a ver pretty Cooter move uh, of, of this uh, teenage. Well, I mean, I, I guess she's about the same age as Kevin. She takes off her panties and stuffs it in between the uh, the, the seats of the car. Yeah. As this limo driver is taking her home, I mean, he's kind of flirting with her, but he's not doing anything that's really, you know, bad. No. Yeah. But um, basically, they <laughs> the the dad, Mr. Uh, Mr. Park, finds these panties, tells his wife and it's like, oh, my gosh, this. Uh, yeah, this uh, this driver's a deviant. Um, basically, you know, just having doing whatever in your car. Yeah. After after he's off uh, off the uh, 
you know, Off out the of clock, Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and that's where it, it's it becomes almost this heist movie a little bit, and um, and it the way that you kind of fall in love with these characters in the first half of this movie is pretty brilliant because you're seeing you you start off and they're kind of in their crappy basement apartment. They don't have any Wi-Fi and stuff like that, but then they start getting this job. And at first you don't really know what the situation is because Kevin kind of falls into it. And it almost seems like a spur of the moment type of situation where he gets his sister, the job, but you find out, that in order to keep this lie up um, of like, oh, we're prestigious people, they can't tell that it's his sister. And so, you know, you're just kind of go along with the situation. You're like, OK, you know, I can I can understand that. But then I feel like that particular moment where she is going ahead with that plan that you're not really aware of at this point, it's a little bit of a turn and maybe maybe the first tone shift because then you're like oh then you're kind of in on it and it feels like kind of even a little more fun because you're like oh they have like this plan and this is how they're executing it because I remember seeing that for the first time I was like what is going on like it was such a surprise but that's how this movie keeps you engaged a little bit it hides a little bit from you but then it kind of lets you in on it but and and you kind of feel like almost like a part of the team you're like okay and you're rooting them on and you're becoming more and more invested in these characters and so what the next situation was they wanted to get the driver fired to get their dad the job as the driver and this is where it's interesting too the Kim family starts to turn a little bit because up until this point you're like oh you know Kevin like I said Kevin is qualified so okay he lied about his diploma whatever okay that's fine and then they lie about Jessica and it becomes maybe an even bigger lie but then they start scheming and they get people fired and then you're like oh man okay this is affecting people's lives but you're not too invested in that driver he's a young good looking guy you're like I hope bounce back but then the fourth one is the biggest one where they try to get the, the mom yeah the to house, be the, the housekeeper, housekeeper. Yeah. and so and that's where it becomes even crazy elaborate and so the stakes just get higher and higher and higher and they um, they get this housekeeper who essentially came with the house so it's a beautiful house they yeah. built this um an architect supposedly built it and lived it, a very prominent architect and then he sold it to the park family and when he sold it the housekeeper stayed there so she's been there like this whole time she's, she's run the house you know ever since it was created and they are able to trick the park family into firing her because they they tell her like she has tuberculosis and they have she this whole TB. thing with the peaches and I want to go back like and you you like aesthetic I mean I, I love the aesthetic of of going to the Kim's uh, place because it is in kind of a basement type thing and you see this mm-hmm. this, uh, this this homeless guy just like drunk as hell like try, <laughs> yeah. trying to take a piss on their window yeah. and then you go to the to the park family and it's beautiful it's gorgeous I mean this lawn is like luscious of, of green and, and you yeah. just the sunshine coming in so I, I just wanted to mention the aesthetic of that but you're right I and I think the third time watching it is like, you're right. I, I think with Kevin, it was just kind of innocently, innocently like fell into his lap as far as you are totally qualified to do this. Um, 
you get kind of a weird vibe when he's teaching the teenage daughter, like like he's starting to flirt with her a little bit and just <laughs> yeah. looking at looking at her weird. Um, but it, it's still innocent enough because the mom sits in on that, and then you know he he says uh, you know Jessica could help with your son, and that's where like when the panties come off, you're like oh okay, and the first time watching it, you're like oh wait hold on a second what's going on here, and then you kind of follow along with the story, but. You know, this is a movie you can watch multiple times. And like you said, chew on so much. You're like, oh, OK, I see where it kind of turned. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the, the that's kind of the first tone shift. There's a couple of them because we haven't even touched on the horror aspect of this, which is another really interesting thing about this movie because the second tone shift comes not too long after that but it's about midway through the movie and once the entire family has gotten hired on um, they pretty much run the house so they're kind of walking heads held high they're all making crazy ridiculous money now um, they've kind of pulled this off they're running the house now mom's the housekeeper they have control of everything and so there's this weekend where it's the the park a family son it's his birthday and he likes camping so they're going to leave for the weekend they're going to take him camping and so this is the first um, or this is kind of the shift um, where it turns to horror because up until this point, it's been very funny. And people yeah. describe this movie a lot as a black comedy. And it's because this first hour sticks out so prominent in your mind. You become so invested with the characters that when you leave the theater, a lot of that is what you're stuck with. You remember the good times that you had with this family. There's a ton of laughs, a lot of really smart, like situational jokes going on. And mm -hmm. so that's what you're kind of left with. But it really is like a, I was talking about the dichotomies of, of this movie. There is a tone shift where this movie becomes very, very dark and very bleak. And then it happens with this, first scene um, where they are celebrating it's at nighttime talking about beautiful aesthetic it's at this house at night where the park family has left and the Kim family is almost acting like they live in the house like we've taken exactly over right. and yeah, they're celebrating I, I also Ooh. want to mention it, it yeah. is like the previous uh, the housekeeper uh, the way they got her fired was is they put hot sauce on this on this uh, um, towel that she had coughed in because they kept putting peach fuzz on her because she's allergic to peaches. So this is how they got her fired. But then they put this like red hot sauce like she had coughed blood into this into this <laughs> yeah. uh, napkin. And it was like I, like to me, that was the turn, because after that happened, this is when the, the Park family went on their camping trip. It's raining and it's, it's actually beautiful because you've got lightning going on, but you got this rain and, and this family feels so at home here that, that this is their home. Yeah. Yeah. And they're laughing. They're drinking. They're having a good time. You're right. The man, the aesthetic of the house when it's raining and not only, and you, you get a quick shift just after the scene too, where they have to go back to their own, like really crappy uh, sub um, basement oh. apartment. It's flooding everything, but that's, but it bounces back and forth because then what, what happens is the park family eventually comes back and they have to kind of scamper out. But, um, 
you are able to compare these things side by side where one of them is so beautiful. This house, it's so calm. And it, it like, even though you're watching it, it makes you feel warm. Like it feels warm and cozy and the lighting in the house, like the fixtures talking about aesthetic. It's so beautiful like it's so spectacular the design the, the the way that they set this up and the the kim family's like house eventually gets flooded because it rains all night and it's lightning and stuff and there's literal sewage spewing out of <laughs> of it like she's there's this amazing scene where the girl is um jessica the daughter is like she she's trying to keep the toilet shut and she can't anymore like it, the whole apartment has been flooded and she just ends up sitting on top of the toilet smoking like just accepting that this is her terrible life and like switching modes like that like so close together it's like it's a gut punch it really you feel it you like feel their despair but at the same time it's still so beautiful like the cinematography (laughs) is amazing no and you're absolutely right you know when we get to that part like like for me it was just it was like the way the way they had to go home you know, you're right. They're sitting in this beautiful house, the lighting of the house. And regardless of what's going outside, you know, there's a massive thunderstorm going on and flooding and everything like that. But they're safe. They're warm, you know. And then then we get the former uh, housekeeper that come back. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a ring camera on there or something like that where they could see her. And she's like, hey, I forgot something in the basement or I forgot something here. And then mm-hmm. this is, you know, this is where it becomes a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I like that they do it on like on a scene at night uh, because you have that moment where you're right, where um, there's terrible things going on outside, but you feel warm and safe with the family. But when as soon as you feel that you feel it for a second and then it switches on you and this housekeeper shows up and at first you're put on alert you're like what is she doing and she's like drenched because it's raining outside you're like why is she here is she gonna find these guys out and then like something completely the twist the this twist was is still i remember the first time seeing it and how like kind of my mind was blown because I remember thinking like, where is this going? I have no idea. Like a complete surprise. I know, but you looked at her and her ass was totally kicked. Like she just got punched or kicked or, or, or mugged by somebody. Yeah, she is messed up. And so you're and then you're even more on alert. You're like, what is wrong with this woman? She's drenching like she's soaked. She her face is kind of beat up, too. I think maybe she has some, like a little bit of a black eye, something. She does looks like scuffed up and yeah. you're like very worried about like what the situation is. And come to find out, she's like, I left something in the basement. <laughs> you know, can I get it? And they're like, okay, yeah. She goes down there and this, so this house, it was built by an architect and she was there with the original architect when she built it. So she knew that he had built like a secret bunker and it even like makes sense because she's like, you know, a lot of these prominent families have them in case there's a, an attack from North Korea. So, I mean, sure. it's logical. Sure. Um, and you're like, oh, my gosh. So there's a secret basement that the, the park family doesn't know about. She kept specifically secret because 
um, her husband is living down there and kind of the big twist about it is he's been down there and see that's why I think that this Thai cake shop thing was popular around 2017 because they say he's been down there about three years and this is supposed to be like current times or whatever and um, come to find out he is her husband is secretly living in this basement in the house and he has been there for three years and she has been using her housekeeping job to kind of keep him secretly fed and everything like that and come to find out they're almost in the exact same situation as That's the exactly Kim family right. yeah, yeah ex- exactly right yeah this guy's hiding out for creditors yeah. you know the Kim family not ne- maybe not necessarily that severe but they're living in poverty obviously they're trying to look for this pizza job or whatever yeah this guy has been hiding out for three or four years because he's hiding from creditors she got this job to help out this family to help out you know and there was a mention of you know she ate for two people yeah yeah so, the, that's a subtle like jab that the mr park says about her like oh her only flaw was she ate so much or something like that <laughs> but yeah yeah this guy was living down there and um god i i it still kept its levity a little bit because she brought him a bottle and a banana and the way yeah. he was the bottle like a little baby and the way yeah. he was banana was was very very weird yeah, the way the way I see this movie, um, it does. You're right. It does keep a little bit of levity. But the way that I see it, it's almost like a song fade where um, oh, yeah. where it yeah. fades out of comedy and into dread and horror. And so yeah. because there's this one moment because where where it all kind of crescendos in is um, so they find out he's down there and she's begging with them to like let him stay there because uh, you know they're the the they make it seem like it's a loan shark so it's not just like a regular bank that they're running from like they got some money from some seedy people and so he's like you know fearing for his life so please let him stay down there and then it comes to find out that she finds out that they're all related, which is a secret that they've been keeping from the Park family. And so they're at this standstill where she's got a secret, they've got a secret, and so they start fighting each other just to keep the place in here. But the Park family, because it's raining, they have to come home from camping. And so there's this moment where they're wrestling and the Park family's coming home, they have to clean everything up and they have to deal with each other. And um, even though it's a really dark thing that happens, they treat it almost a little bit like a joke. But it's the way I see it fading out is the the Kim family gets the upper hand. And just as the Park family is coming in, the mom of the Kim family kicks the old housekeeper like down the stairs and they do it like with this little like joke kind of sound and like, oh, there she goes. She slipped down. But really, she falls down this like stone walkway and like bashes her head um, against a stone wall and stone stairs. And that ultimately leads to her death. (laughs) And it's actually really dark and sad and like messed up. Um, But they kick it off with like the almost kind of like the last joke of the movie a little bit. It's like, Oh, there she goes. Um, But then it's uh, anything after that is actually really, really dark. And where this movie just, 
starts to kind of get further and further into despair pretty much. Yeah, because once they escape, that's that you know, that was the huge turn of the movie where it's just like this movie's not gonna be fun anymore because they go home and the way they get home, they're getting soaked, everything, you know, they're wading through water. They 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 have to go through even more water because obviously it's flooding. They're trying to grab whatever they can. And you're talking about Jessica, you know, she's up there just trying to keep the toilet in. You know, smoking a cigarette and looking at her phone, just like I, I have nothing else to do. They go to a shelter and then there's this. I, I mean, I thought it was a very meaningful conversation between Kevin and the dad of like, you know, no plan ever works out or every plan fails. Yeah. And that and that that's what the whole movie was based on before. So, you know, there, you get this phone call like all four of them get a phone call that they have to come back to the park family house because there's this impromptu birthday party. So they're, they're digging through clothes. And and, and one thing I think we missed upon was there was a, a theme of smelling like boiled rags. You know, <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. It's a class thing. You know, it's like Mr. Park would always say like, you know, it smells like boiled rags and, you know, they smell like boiled rags. Uh, uh, they like, smell similar. Yeah. Yeah. He exactly says they right. smell like people who ride the subway or Cyrus like the smells, you know, like when you have to ride the subway and the people who ride the subway smell like that or something, which is funny because like so many people ride the subway. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's got like this kind of um attitude towards them the the whole time even though they think they're you know prominent at the time when they get their jobs that is the one thing that he still thinks like oh i'm still better than you because like oh you like don't smell good or something like that yeah they smell like rags yeah it's a class thing to me and then so they all go to this party and this is where like crap hits the fan and uh, i mean kind of, to me it was it was tragic but kind of the funnest part of the movie because <laughs> yeah. they get there because because the dad and and mr kim are hiding behind a bush and you know they're acting like indians and yeah, maybe you can explain to me you know the 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 analogy of the cowboys and indians thing you know i know the kid was all, always shooting arrows and but but um you know, Mr. Park and Mr. Kim are actually hiding in the bushes with their headdresses on, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, maybe maybe just to be part of the party or, or is there some significance to that? Well, actually, I forgot. I kind of started to talk about it when I explained the idea of like uh, English behind um, like the, the thought process behind English and how it kind of plays a role in this movie. Um, but that is another thing. The Park family. So it's almost just another status thing. So talking about how he says things like, oh, they smell like boiled rags to his wife and stuff like that. Um they're so full of themselves. It's so this is one of the things that I kind of picked up on that I would explain to my Korean friends. So just at random times, the Park family will just drop these random English lines. They don't really like add to the conversation. It's really almost like they're using English as a way to show their status or maybe to show that they're better than um, than other people who are surrounding them. So they'll just draw like um, show say like is that okay with you or she says like i'm deadly serious like they'll just drop these random english lines into conversation and another thing that they do they're obsessed with like american culture so this kid he he does love the idea of like american indians and things like that but even they brag about his tent set which is like a headdress and everything they're like 
Oh, that's um, right. Because yeah, it's made in. Yeah, he's got a teepee. Yeah, yeah and a tomahawk, and yeah. yeah. But they say specifically, like, oh, it was made in the USA, and you see these <laughs> things, like, <laughs> yeah, you see these things that he's got, and it's got like the headdress and stuff. And to me, when I see those things as an American, the first things that I pick up are like cheesy truck stop you know, paraphernalia is, okay. is kind of what pops into my mind. These aren't like prominent toys or they're not like illustrious or anything. They're things that I would think like, Oh, you got that from like a truck stop you know, or something like that's what kind of sticks out in my mind. And even the idea like, Oh, it was made in the USA. Like that's kind of funny to me because it doesn't like as an American it doesn't stand out as my mind. It's like, Oh, that's a very fine item that you have there. You know? Oh, well, a, a TP be, made in the USA. Or would it be like similar for us to like visit Mexico and go buy, you know, uh, a sombrero or, or maybe a poncho or something like that? And it's like, hey, you know, this is this is their heritage, and I'm, I'm exactly very okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, it would be that kind of thing. So they think like, oh, it's very interesting. We bought it from America, and they almost use it as a way as like a status thing. Like, oh, it was made in America, and oh, it's American Indian, but really to me i just see it as like some cheap you know like like um things you know like a cheap tomahawk or a cheap teepee that you would get maybe in new mexico or something like that at a truck side like that's kind of what stood out in my mind right so basically we we get into this party uh old guy from uh from basement actually uh at, um I believe Kevin was going to go in there down there because he feels like he has to take care of the situation drops the rock, the lucky rock, which he says, you know, this is the lucky rock. It's going to bring us wealth or whatever uh, drops it. He gets down there. Old guy has the rock bashes him on the head twice, which was brutal. Yeah, that was a brutal scene. <laughs> so he comes back up. Um, he's walking through the party. Doesn't he grab a knife or something like that out of the kitchen? Yeah, yeah, the old uh, Michael Myers knife. He's got that, <laughs> <laughs> which is great because this guy, even even when they show this guy um, for the first time, he's a particular looking person. Um, he's he um, he's got these kind of like big glassy eyes, kind of like Steve Buscemi eyes or something. Yeah, um, for sure. He he's like so even when he's not technically a threat when they first open up the basement he's a he's a particular looking guy he he's kind of moist too I don't, he's always like sweaty looking I don't know he's just like a a creepy kind of looking guy once his wife dies and they show they tied this guy up in the basement so that he wouldn't alert the park family. And of course the, the wife gets kicked down the stairs. She hits her head and they're having a discussion and she's like, Oh honey, I think I have a concussion and he's trying to help his wife. It's a pretty brutal scene. Like he's trying to undo his like uh, tape or whatever. They taped him up and like save her. Like he's trying to save his wife. She dies in the basement with him watching. So now this guy has, when Kevin goes down to essentially finish them off and kill them, which is a really just dark within itself that the Kim family has escalated to the point to the, where they're willing to murder other people just to keep their lies and their money, you know, secret. So Kevin goes down there. The guy gets the other upper hand. You think he kills Kevin, gets the knife, and essentially is going to go 
on this rampage, but not against the rich people. He's nope. he's essentially just seeking revenge for his wife's death against you know, so he's looking to kill the Kims. And so he thinks he's killed Kevin with a rock. He goes out to this party. He sees Jessica. She's carrying the birthday cake. And he immediately stabs her. <clears throat> Sorry. He immediately stabs her. And then I love this scene, too, because this you've seen this family come together. And now you're watching it fall apart. And even though they're starting to do some despicable things, you still are really kind of with this family you know you followed them along this journey and you're hoping that they come out on top well now you think the kids are dying and you know sure enough the mom steps up and to defend her daughter and so they have this back and forth she stabs the guy with uh with a big fork um you know like a barbecue fork or i think that's what it was and um and they had this big battle. And then the Park family has no idea what's going on. They've never seen this man before who's been living in their house. Also, <laughs> too, he's dressed in all black and he's been banging his head on the wall all night trying to alert them because there's some light switches down there that trigger that, like the hallway lights. Well, you find out that that he actually he's uh, he's he pays tribute to them. He's trying to send them Morse code like throughout the previous to to what we have going on is that he's trying to send Morse code of like you know pay tribute to them that that he you know he worships them or whatever something like that yeah because um, they provide for him or whatever exactly. like thank you for letting me live in your house <laughs> yeah so you are the man you know banging his head against this button that is trying to send Morse code is like I love you you you're the best <laughs> yeah. you're, you're my savior or whatever um but then like Mister um, Mr. Park does that smell thing where like he's holding his nose and this cinematography was so freaking good right here. You know, he holds his nose and then Mr. Kim goes up and just freaking kills Mr. Park. Yeah. And it's the thing, too. And it's man, it's this weird culmination of things, because really, I could ask you, like, at the beginning of the discussion, like, really, who is the villain of this movie? There's really not one. They try to paint the Park family as this villain. But in this moment, like in this moment of chaos where there's this park family, they're trying to throw a birthday party for their son. Literally, that's all that they've been lied to. They don't know that this family's related. So Jessica gets stabbed. And while the the dad, Mr. Kim, sees his daughter bleeding and like lying on the ground, um, Mr. Park doesn't know that like he doesn't know that that emotional attachment so he's trying to protect his family so he's saying like Mr. Kim like give me the keys to the car like we gotta get out of here I don't know what's going on people are being married but he does do that smell thing but it's to the guy who's been living in his basement <laughs> so yeah, exactly right. It's when he's trying that I guess the guy falls on top of the keys. He's trying to get the keys from out under his body, which might be dead at this point because he's been stabbed. And also he's got blood running down his head. The reason I brought up him banging his head is because it actually as he comes out of the basement, it's a gruesome like as far as a murderer goes. This guy looks gruesome. He's got blood pouring down. He's already a weird looking guy. He's dressed in all black. And so he does that smell thing like, oh, my God, this guy smells terrible. And that just trickles 
Parker's Mr. Kim to then murder Mr. Park in the middle of his party in the in front of his family, like his <laughs> at his son's right. birthday party. And you feel like definitely sympathetic because another powerful scene that you see in that, like that that has like got me a couple times, especially in the later times that I've watched this film, was the daughter of the Park family carrying Kevin out of the party. So she's trying to save Kevin. They've been like dating kind of secretly or whatever, um, even though that's her tutor, but they've been dating and you think Kevin is dead. He's got bashed in the head with this rock several times, but through all the chaos, this little girl has thrown like Kevin on her back and is like trying to save him. The Jessica has been stabbed and is bleeding to death. And that's like his daughter. And it's such a man. It's such a like wealth of emotion. They're all terrible emotions, but it, you feel so much in this scene and it really does take multiple watches to try to grapple with most of it because it's all so tragic, but it's also chaotic and you have to make sense of all of it. And, um, you know, a bunch of people die from it. And it essentially almost ends this movie on this just really down Downer. note. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, and I tell you what adds what adds to that scene is the cinematography, the slow motion, the kind of like the, the movement of the camera and the, the way it kind of flips up like Ari Aster does in um, in Midsummer, you know, and it's like filming on top of somebody as they're running to the basement in slow motion. You know, it almost feels like a. Oh boy, kind of kind of a Goodfellas feel to it, mm -hmm. like the, the, like yeah. towards the end of, of Goodfellas, where it's just got that that beautiful cinematography, but it's so tragic. Um, so the movie ends on that is that the dad is now in the basement taking care of himself, you know, trying to send um, Morse code to his son. You know, there's this daydream from Kevin of of he ends up getting better. You know, he's laughing at the Miranda rights or whatever. Uh, as he's in the hospital, but you know, it turns out that he's just staring blankly at the wall because you know he's got so much brain damage to him that it's yeah. so tragic, and and his dad's stuck down there. So yeah, and end a movie. <laughs> Yeah, and the final, it's so beautiful, too. Talking about one more thing about the cinematography and one more dichotomy, too, that they kind of, like, throw in here is the movie starts off at, in summertime. So you see them in their basement apartment, and, like, it's not great, but they're all together as a family, and it starts off all comedy, like, oh, here we go, and it's all, like, warm outside, you know, because they're spraying for bugs, like, they're spraying for the mosquitoes and stuff like that. So, you know, like, oh, it's the warm summer months, and we're going through this. And it ends um, in the bleakness of winter, you know, when it's very cold and it's snowing. And essentially what you're left with is Jessica is dead. Yep. Um um, Kevin is brain damaged from his hit for the rock. So he's essentially like where he was kind of this, even though they were poor, where he was kind of this prominent young man, like all that's out the window. He can barely like do anything functionally now. Um, and the mom has to take care of him. And the dad is on the run essentially for life or murder of this, um, of Mr. Park and is now switch places 
And he is the one hiding in the basement of the house that has now been purchased by like a German couple or something. And so he is secretly down there. And every night he has written this letter and learned Morse code and he's written it out to Kevin. And what we see is Kevin picks up on the Morse code and he translates it. And it's like saying, you know, I ran down here after the murder and stuff like that. And this is where I stay. And then it ends with Kevin thinking like, okay, dad, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to get a good job and um, I'm going to save up and I'm going to buy that house. And it might take me a long time, but I'm going to get you out of there and you're going to embrace me. And and like, it's all going to be good. And then it just ends with the reality of the situation which is your like brain damage you're not doing anything and you guys are significantly worse off than you were at the beginning of this film exactly <laughs> it's, it's so, like, like oh, it, so bleak it's so it's it ends with kevin just sitting on a bed looks like he's holding a letter or something like that as if he um, you know imagined that that this is what his dad sent him but his dad's actually undercover so whoo what a way to end a movie yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so, Ju, here we go. We are going to rate this movie, uh, Parasite, from 2019. Uh, did we miss anything? Um, I mean, there's so much. I mean, you could talk about this movie. So, I mean, there's so many different layers, but nothing nothing that stuck out um, in my mind. Those are kind of the major beats for sure. All right. Well, just like you guys do, we, we do out of five. How are you feeling about Parasite from 2019? Man, I I can't give this thing anything other than a five. Um, Every I've said uh, like probably about eight times now I've seen it since November. And every time I watch it, I pick up on new things, but not only pick up on new things, I like try to like fully appreciate the things that I love the very first time. And none of it has fallen flat for me. Like there's never a point where. I feel like, oh, I see the strings and stuff now. And so even though I don't get that, there were so many moments in that first watching where I was like, I don't know what's happening. And I got that those initial surprises, even after the fact um, that I don't receive that kind of like initial shock and pleasure from that. Um, I'm picking up on so many different things. And just like you, you've mentioned several times, the aesthetic of this film is beautiful. The way they develop these characters, the way that there's really no villain, like the parts didn't really do anything wrong. And even though they're kind of painted as kind of like the oppressor, like, like they're rich or really they're they could, they're just as sympathetic in a lot of ways. I mean, they lose, they lose uh, a father, like their dad dies for nothing. Like they didn't do anything wrong. Um, really everybody is hurt by this situation by this feud between everybody and it's um it's so kind of beautiful and how bleak it is and how relatable it is the everything's on point the characters the acting the cinematography the overall script um how everything just kind of starts high and ends low i mean it really is like a lightning in a bottle it is i think it's going to stand the test of time and it's going to be a classic and i've i've never watched this film and thought like oh that wasn't quite as good as i thought it was never so it's definitely a five star for me all right well i i'm i have no arguments against that um the only thing i'll add is uh, as far as when it comes to movies 
I mean, this this to me is neck and neck with Train to Busan. So you, we, we talked about our top five, and you know, the oh, love yeah. <laughs> I ha- you, you know the love I have for that movie. And this is really right next to it. So, I mean, you can interchange those two. You know, the characters are fantastic. The story was fantastic. You know, I love the build of this movie. The movie, it, it, it was two hours and 14 minutes. It didn't feel like that. It yeah. felt like, it just felt like a roller coaster ride of fun. Hey, where's this going? You know, and even when you watch it for a second or a third or an eighth time, is that you go through the roller coaster ride every single time because, like you said, you don't see the strings on this movie. You don't see, okay, I can point this out. So I, for me, I am going to go a five as well. Whoa. Because yeah. this is this is a damn near perfect movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's I, a good one. Yeah, I didn't find anything wrong with it. So I, I, I think we established it at the beginning. Is it bad? Is it good? Is it a classic? I'll say classic. Juice. Yep, classic. I agree. Absolute classic. I, I, I don't want to wrap this up because I, I, I did pay my bill. Ten thousand dollars is coming your guys' way. <laughs> I know that copyright claim. You know. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's let's. Uh, Let's put on our hunting gear and go hunting. There we go. Since you are a special guest, uh, Straight Chillin' Podcast has an exclusive to this, but he's allowed me to do it. (laughs) It's called Cooter. Uh, Wait, hold on. Cooter of the Oh, yeah, hold on. Cooter of the Week. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Cooter of the Week. What exactly is a cooter, Justin? So Cooter is character type, prominent in horror films, but not exclusive. And the Cooter has to hit uh, three of these five points to even be considered a Cooter. And of course, you know, the more that you hit, the higher Cooter you are. And And we're always, huh? Those points would be. So the five points of Cooterdom that you can hit on are manipulation, Smug arrogance, sexual deviancy, overall patheticness, and overall look and attire. So we try to break it down, like who who's the biggest cooter, who's got the most points. And so, uh, yeah, let's go hunting. So who do you have any candidates for cooter of the week? Okay, well, I, I was thinking, I don't think anybody really hits on attire except the husband downstairs. Just wearing, you know, a black overall suit like Michael Myers. So, but I don't know if that necessarily hits on attire. So I'm going lowest possible level right now. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, maybe towards the end, if you wanted, not necessarily attire, but overall look, maybe with like the blood running down. And like I said, he's already kind of a weird looking guy. Like maybe you could give him that one. But yeah, it's pretty low on, on that one. Yeah, there's nothing else. I mean... It's pathetic that he has to hide in the house from creditors or loan sharks. Is that well, I think it's kind of pathetic that he his type of worship that he puts toward the Park family. Like Ooh. it's 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 very extreme. Like yeah. I, I feel like everybody in the theater and even like the Kim family is kind of looking around like, wait, will you do what? Like you turn <laughs> on this because he essentially it's a really funny joke because you think that this the Park family is so rich that they have this hallway lighting that's automatic. So when you step in this certain area, you know, it triggers the lights, but it's really just this guy waiting for Mr. Park to come home and he turns the lights on one by one as he steps up the stairs. So that's pretty <laughs> pathetic. I'd say I think that's pretty pathetic. I think that's really all he has. So I kind of want to go to the higher like that. That's kind of the lowest part. 
I'm going to go with the family. I want to go with the Kim family because, I mean, okay. if you look at the Park family, I mean, smug arrogance is all there. Uh-huh. But also, I think the Kim family to a certain extent, and, you know, maybe we'll specify who exactly who it is. I'm actually going to go with Kevin. Okay. So Kevin is Cooter of the Week. What What do you think are his, uh, his biggest points? His points. He does not hit on a tire because he's just wearing normal clothes. Um, yeah. I think, I think sexual deviancy only okay. because of the fact that he is a uh, really macking on a teenage girl. <laughs> yeah. That is something that comes up a lot. It, I, it's maybe a little more understandable in the culture, but it's still, it's not something that's excusable. People like even Koreans have brought that up. Like, mm, that's not quite appropriate. It's not maybe quite as inappropriate as we would see it, but yeah, it's, it's definitely. Um, and not only that, he like steals her journal. Um, yeah, when she's exactly. not home, he's then that, I think that kind of tips the scales. So he's in a he's in a position of power over kind of like he's her tutor. He's older than her. And even though she's like doing it willingly and it seems like a kind of loving kind of relationship, he's definitely like going through her while well, he's lying to her one. And he's uh, he even talks about if they got married, how he would hire actors to play his parents so he's planning on marrying this girl with not even like being honest with her and reading her diary so yeah that's that's not cool kevin come on come on but i but i also (laughs) i also thought that was pathetic that he's looking at her diary yeah why would you you go for somebody's personal private property that that's pathetic i mean i i know you have run in the house but okay so somebody allows you to be in their house and they, they give you that trust. It's pathetic to go through that. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I um, think it just goes to show that he doesn't really truly care about her as a person. It's more of like, Oh, she's a prominent girl and a prominent family and younger, you know, it's the kind of all the desirables. Um, but yeah, that's not, that's not cool. Kevin, come on. <laughs> and obviously he's manipulative because he gets the rest of his family hired. You know, it's like a step-by-step thing. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know if he really hits on, uh, what's the other one that we miss? Uh, yeah, smug self-importance. I actually think he doesn't because he goes the opposite way. And this is where he almost becomes a little sympathetic right before he gets his head bashed in. Um, he has, and it maybe adds a little bit to his patheticness, but it's also very sympathetic where he has a conversation with the girl and they are in her room and they're looking down on the party. And he says something to the effect of like, dude, do I belong here? Do like yeah, I exactly. fit in? He's gone through that whole night where he's slept in a gym. He's lost everything. He saw sewage like spew through his house. And she doesn't know any of that. She only sees him as her boyfriend and like her to, you know, her tutor and like this guy who he has lied about being. Um, but he can't shake the feeling of who he truly is like this poor kid and, and who's not, who shouldn't be at this party and stuff like that. So, um, I don't think he really carries around a lot of smug arrogance, but he does hit on three. So, I yeah. mean, is anybody, yeah. I, I think the sister, Jessica, I mean, I, I think she's got some smug arrogance. Yeah, um, she's definitely probably like the smuggest of them, or maybe the mom um, of of the Kim family. Um, but yeah, I think of of anyone in this film, he definitely hits 
um pathetic yeah because he reads the dice see i guess maybe i associate the sexual the um the diary with the more of the sexual deviancy because it's kind of tied into the same person you know like how he treats this girl and stuff but you're right i mean it is pathetic like to read because you she's already your girlfriend it's not like you're trying to find something out about her literally like you know you're already dating and stuff so and I, I think, you know, the, the deviancy comes from like dating her, but like maybe he's trying to find out something more. So it's pretty pathetic that you have yeah, to look into somebody's try. Why, why wouldn't you have a conversation with somebody exactly. and say, you know, hey, hey, what do you like? No, I'm going to read what she likes and everything <laughs> that she's put down on a piece of paper. So I it, did we successfully hunt for the cooter? Yeah, I think I uh, when we did on the straight chillin', I think we like cut Kevin maybe some slack, but you're right. I mean, he does hit on all five, and even your point might even add potentially more to his manipulation if he can't function in this relationship without kind of being pathetic, reading through her diary, and using that, you know, to kind of get in deeper with the girl. Then yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty bad. So yeah, yeah. we can uh, we can we can slap old Kevin with the cooter <laughs> of the week. Nobody else really hits. Um, well, well, not, well, that's exactly why. That's exactly why I have the sticker sitting on my desk right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go, cooter hunter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, Justin, thank you so much for coming out. We, uh, I think uh, th- th- this has been a, a long conversation for us, but it's been a lot of fun. What do you guys have coming up on Straight Chilling Podcast? Yeah, um, thanks for having me on. First of all, I really appreciate it. It's been a really fun conversation, and I enjoy listening to you guys. I enjoy being on the podcast and appreciate you guys having not just me, but the whole squad on um, every now and Absolutely. then. I uh, Veronica, oh, man, that whole, having old Bob on Veronica, <laughs> that, was, that was a pretty good listen. But um, I think straight Andy, I, Yeah, I think yeah. Andy really appreciates you kind of like – uh, helping him out because he yeah, felt so to, bad for it. <laughs> yeah, I could truly tell that he cared about the source material, and I I sympathize <laughs> with them. I was like, but again, though, I haven't seen Veronica, so it's easier, I guess, <laughs> to sympathize from that standpoint. But yeah, um, we are covering Eraserhead next. That is our nice. next movie coming up. Yeah, we're talking about Eraserhead. We had a poll pick for. Um, um, June um, for a June movie, and it was Dastardly Dads and um, Eraserhead One. So that's what we'll be covering next. Nice, very cool. And then uh, for the straight or for for you podcast, uh, July third, we're going to talk about the collector, and then we're going to do the uh, sequel, the collection. And then I don't know if you've heard about this Kevin Bacon movie. Uh, you should have left. I guess Andy had watched it, said, uh, or we're trying to push back the new grudge as much as we can. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I I actually think maybe it was this morning. Recently, I just saw like a suggested YouTube thing for that Kevin Bacon movie, which is kind of weird that um, you bring it up. But yeah, um, I haven't seen it personally, but um, I'm kind of curious now. I'll be I'll be listening out for you guys to cover that. For sure. We got that coming up in three weeks. And uh, Juice, where can they find you on the interweb? 
Yeah, so if you're looking for some more uh, horror material, horror video games, um, horror movie reviews, and actually we do some horror series reviews as well, you can check me out on Straight Chilling Podcast at straightchillingpodcast.com or on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash forward slash straight chilling podcast. Ooh, I thought I had it down. Um, And if you are interested in any more um, things on Korea, I actually talked a little bit about Parasite on my YouTube channel as well. More from these kind of like Korean standpoints, things that I've seen in Korea. But I also, like I said, I do uh, Korean historical sites and just famous tourist sites in Seoul and things like that. You can check me out on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Justin Abroad Travel Videos. And I'm also on Instagram where I post pictures of Korea at Justin Abroad. Um, that's on Instagram. Yeah. And I agree with that 100%. Go check him out. Go follow him. He may follow you back unless you're a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah. I, I, I tend to follow people back, I think. Yeah. I know. I know you do. I know. <laughs> All right, Justin, thank you so much. Go get some sleep. Thank you so much for coming on. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll have you on again soon, okay? All right. Thanks, man.